Hello and welcome to Pop-Up Submissions Live, not from Baker Street, London, but from Warminster, Wiltshire, Britain's very own Roswell. Well, the local newspaper only last week provided compelling evidence that the dead are indeed rising up. And in the self-same week reported on a paranormal incident in a charity shop when, and I quote, a DVD suddenly shot off a shelf with no apparent cause or explanation. Truly, the end times are upon us, but what I can't work out is if these two events are somehow connected, but I'm sure our trusty genius room will enlighten me any moment now. It's three guests for the price of two today. On my left, it's a welcome return to crime writing duo Bob and Carol Bridgestock. And on my right, one of our most popular regular guests. You've seen him on ITV reporting the news. He's on pop-ups today reporting his views. Welcome back, the one and only Andy Dickinson. It's a thrilling show today, and no mistake, if you're a DVD, it's time to jump off your shelf. And if you're dead, <laughs> it's time to climb out of your grave as pop-up submissions goes live. And here we are. Our very first submission of the day comes from A.D. Cooler. It's called Daisy World. Daisy World. Do you like that as a title? It's growing on me. It's adult hey. fiction. It's a very broad genre, adult fiction. And this is A.D. Cooler's blurb. The planet isn't dying, it's being killed. And those killing it have names and addresses. So goes the mantra of Austin Hume, full-time civil servant, part-time green activist and keen amateur terrorist. He sees how decades of peaceful pressure have failed to curb the danger of global warming. And when the government decides to outlaw Extinction Rebellion, his patience snaps. With time almost up to avert the coming climate calamity, the ends justify any means at all, don't they? Let me tell you about AD. I've been in the news industry for about 16 years. Working as a reporter and news editor, I've written for various daily papers, but most of my career, this is very interesting, has been spent at the Newsletter, the world's oldest English-language daily based in Belfast. Much of my work centres on the aftermath of the Troubles and involves bringing the experiences of the wounded and bereaved to the public light. Down the years, I've also been published by The Times, BBC, Irish Times, among others. Other activities from my early journalism days include editing a general interest business magazine on the English South Coast, acting as a local NUJ rep, and helping out groups, including Amnesty International, uh, with media work on a voluntary basis. Very good, very commendable, as is indeed this reading from Mel. Daisy World, written by A.D., read by Mel. Chapter 1 We live in an era of fraud, a time when fraud is rewarded, when it is lauded, when it is policy. Fraud has become normalized, and it is imperative that cool, rational people push back at the charlatans who foist it upon us. Let me be emphatic. 
The professor leaned closer to his microphone and took off his glasses. He turned to face his debating opponent at the other end of the table. You are a fraud, he announced with a puce-faced bark, banging his palms down once for each syllable. The last bang caused his microphone to wince and his speaking notes to slither off the table, scattering into the front row of Dublin Assisi University's Logan Hall Auditorium. I don't need them. I've already covered everything, said the professor, dismissing a student who tried to hand them back. I shall wrap up with this simple observation. There was a time when, in my own nation of South Africa, con artists got sent to prison. Once upon a time here in Ireland, I dare say you did much the same. Those days are gone. Now we invite confidence tricksters onto our airwaves, into our parliaments, and into public debates such as this one, where their catastrophist gobbledygook usually goes unchallenged. Therefore, I'm grateful to tonight's organizers for giving me a rare chance to skewer one such swindler, for that is what my opponent is. He is no scientist. He is a journalist turned politician. And like all politicians, you must instinctively distrust what he says. I am a scientist. I live and breathe data. And all the evidence I know of tells me we are witnessing the greatest con of modern times, the hoovering up of your taxes to combat the mythical menace of man-made warming. Seated between the professor and his opponent, the moderator motioned to his watch. Time was almost up. The professor put his glasses back on. He cleared his throat. I leave you with the words of Leon Trotsky, a man whom I've no doubt my opponent greatly admires. The mass of the people will more easily fall prey to a big lie than to a little one. I appeal to you all, do not swallow the big lie. Some stuttered applause rippled across the audience. Meanwhile, half a dozen loud boos emanated from a group near the back. From the depths of a duffel coat, a young man's voice said, This should never have happened! Shame on Four Poster for staging it! Shame on this university for hosting it! Shame, shame, agreed a young woman beside him. I'm ashamed to be a student here. Two high-vis clad stewards who had searched people on the way in looked at one another, unsure if this warranted their intervention. Then the moderator, a spindly man called Crichton, whose suit had elbow patches, raised his voice above the blossoming hubbub. If you don't like what the professor said, the Q&A was the proper time to raise it, and indeed many of you did. Let me repeat my earlier point. It is exactly this kind of censorious attitude, this desire to shut down debate, which made us at Four Poster Magazine so determined to stage this event. We've done so tonight in the face of some quite obnoxious opposition. Now I must ask for quiet. Our second speaker will deliver his closing remarks. The booze petered out. Rory O'Connell, the journalist-turned-politician, shook his head. It is nearly impossible to respond to what my opponent has done, he told the hall. He's thrown out so many red herrings, so many falsehoods and misrepresentations, that by the time you correct them, there's scarcely time to make your own arguments. I've done my best this evening, and I hope my best was good enough. You've heard tonight about many ice ages, about sunspots, about the effects of water vapor in the atmosphere. You've heard my opponent, an oceanographer, claim there's no clear pattern of warming. That is an ocean-going falsehood. But don't take my word for it. Thank you so much, Mal. Let's go straight to the Genius Room and see what the Genie ISA um, and the title. I want to see if people have Disney um, thoughts about the title 
and yeah, Daisy World, Disney World. It's just a bit close, actually. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that myself, but I can see that. Um, and let's just... Oh, I've gone too far back. Um, polemic more than blurb, says Pamela PJ. I didn't see a story. I wonder. Title kind of works, says Matt. Only because it makes me think Disney World. Is that a good thing? Mmm. And a number of other people say that too. Not sure about the title, says Jan. I like Echo Thrillers. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a, it's a growing genre, actually. Uh, no reason to pick it up unless it's in the gardening shelf. <laughs> uh, James doesn't like the formatting, which is very important, actually. Don't, uh, don't forget about that. And Pamela Jo says, I think something quite profound. The problem with this kind of premise is that the client knows the song very well. So unless you have a very new arrangement, no one's going to read it. Confusing who was speaking of the formatting, says Barbara US. Um, and Barbara US also says, and I think this is spot on, as I've been told, it's a thriller. Start with a thrill. Why not? I would love to know what Andy thinks. Um, I think it's an okay start to a thriller if someone gets shot in the next couple of pages or something, I would have thought. I mean, the, the word polemic that got used about the blurb, I, I've written that down as well. But then actually, I, I kind of, I, I wondered whether I've taken a wrong term with that. And that's why I've, I've marked it quite high on the craft. I quite like the title. The, the blurb, and we've had similar submissions in the last few months, actually, sort of reminded yeah. me of old Ben Elton, because he used to do this this kind of stuff about doing like environmental kind of, you know, the dark comedy type type yeah. books. And I really do feel that there, 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 there's probably a market for that out there right now uh, on this sort of subject. But yeah, the, the first line I thought, oh my God, yeah, this is going to be a polemic. Mm. I'm going to have to get on my polemic hobby horse mm. and I'm going to bore myself. But then the debate itself, I was quite interested in. Um, the, the puce-faced bark, I quite like that. Um, I, I think it's an interesting setup because... We need to talk about free speech. We need to talk about people that have views. Hello, this is my cat. Um, that are different to us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, Even cats. Hello. Thank you, it's yours. This is Milo. Hello, you want to see Milo. Hello, Milo. Milo's always got. So yeah, so I like I like to set up with the debate, um, and and I think you're taking an interesting tack into it, and that we do need to discuss these things. I think I think my issue here is. Do we have a central character? Do we have much in the way of jokes? And do we have much in the way of plot in, yeah. in the submission that you've given us? And be yeah. that it's 700 words, I think we were lacking in that area. Yeah. You said jokes. Why, 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 did, you, why did you say jokes? Because I like jokes. And I, I, th oh. I think... <laughs> I think... I think yeah, well, I think I think jokes or just some lightness of, of touch, which I do think is in there when he starts, you know, his, his notes fall on the floor and he's kind of like ambivalent about it. I think yeah. I thought that was that was quite cute. But but yeah, I, I think, you know, even when you're talking about the end of the world and Armageddon, we need the, the odd bit of light, we'll the odd bit of humour just, yeah. just to give us a hook. Like says, no need to debate someone who says two plus two equals green. I understand having that sort of character in the story, but I didn't see much to make me want to follow the story. And Pamela J says, thrill me, chill me. Um, start with the act of terrorism, says Claire. Um, and Johnny says, what an entrance. But I think he was referring to the cat. What did you think, Bob and Carol? <laughs> well, the title, yeah, the title was intriguing days ago. Well. I quite like that. You know, and I thought, here we go, Eco Warrior, you know, is it COP27? Oh, yeah. 
you know, and it's it, very it, topical. It, it's very topical. Very. But the debate, yes, clever some of the dialogue in there. But f- for me, I wasn't drawn in enough. I wanted mm. something either before. I was waiting for something at the beginning or at the end to An just exciting incident, yeah. Just to really yeah. grab me, yeah. to yeah. make me want to read more. You know, we, you can, if you, you can watch debates forever, and like people do, they fall asleep in it. And and with this one, I wanted something just, you know, the black cat to jump across the table, maybe, or yes. something that happens that really just lifts it suddenly, that yeah. makes you just sit up a little bit rather than yeah. sit back, relax, as though you are in a debate listening to people. Perhaps that's what he meant to do. Well, maybe, maybe you know, but yeah, it didn't. Uh, but we're, it didn't. But it didn't grab like the Carol, Like Carol says, it's topical, it, it, it's there, Yeah, it's in the zone. Maybe something big happens right later. Like maybe, yeah, maybe we do get, you know, I don't know, assassination um, and on the next page. But we haven't had that in the first 700 words. AD, oh, hello, AD, author here. Uh, regarding the absence of a thrill in the text so far, it's getting very defensive here, AD. I can yeah. reassure you that someone does it indeed. Yes, I read your mind, AD. <laughs> does indeed meet a rather bloody end shortly. And that's what we love. Yes. <laughs> we love the blood. That's what we're after. Ah. Perhaps, right. perhaps that's where to start then, AD. You know, yeah. perhaps that's yeah. where to start. You know, I think we, that's right. we need a pretty face or a, you know, something, something, an inciting incident to start and, and, and it and then, then go into and then, the debate. And then step it back. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, I think that's right. So I just want to say, AD, right. that I, I... Capable. I want to see a tighter framing on this. Um, it's what you've de- what you've delivered so far, and I think this is we're all saying the same thing. Really, it's it's a set piece. It's the sort of thing that we have seen or experienced directly, actually, on television hundreds and hundreds of times before. So if you, if you really want to start with something like that, and everyone everyone is saying don't start with that, but if you want to start with something like that, what I'm looking for is you know that th- that little magic dust that makes it makes. It makes your writing talent just stand out and your creative talent stand out. So I would be looking for what is the essence of this confrontation. And what you've done at the moment is very sort of mundane. It's, it's, it's the sort of thing that we hear all the time, really. There's nothing very different about this. So what's the essence of that confrontation? What is this scientist character actually doing? What's, you know, if, we, if you take the takes behind the scenes, let us see uh, him engaging in sophistry. That's an interesting thing. Take the layers away a little bit. Show us something a little bit new. The confrontation itself isn't new, but go to the essence of it. Let us see something a little bit new about that. And that will, in my view, give it, um, give it a nudge upwards. So let's look at the numbers on that. Here we go. You've got a very creditable 63 to start the show off. I tell you what I think I should do as well um, is I think I should... Yeah, why not? I should show you. Oh, I could have pressed that button. Um, I should show you how it's going so far this month. Because remember, we did not have a show last week because we've relocated. So the buttons are somewhat different. So excuse me if I make a cock up or two. Um, but we've still had four shows this month. So we will be finishing the month, this show, with a monthly winner. And this is how the leaderboard looks so far. Mr. And do you remember? Do you remember Watering the Seeds of Guilt by David Noyner? It was YA. And I bet you do remember that. I remember it really well. Very vividly written. It was um, in the execution chamber, wasn't it? Yeah. Execution chamber. And uh, the dying words 
implicated our protagonist. Really interesting setup. Everybody, everyone responded really well to that. Let's have a look at our next submission. So 77 is the score we're looking to beat if you want to be our monthly winner. And the next submission is called The Flood. It's cybercrime thriller, another highly topical subject. And it's from Sean, and this is Sean's blurb. You've been hacked. They have all your data, emails, texts, passwords, pictures, videos. It looks like every file from every device going back years. You're given a choice. Upload a public confession of your sins or your full data set will be published at theflood.com. You have 24 hours to comply. Problem is, you're rich and famous and you're a criminal, so you don't confess. They leak everything and you're not alone. Every day at noon, a larger wave hits and the flood grows. Do you like that setup? I do. Yeah, very interesting. Let me uh, tell everybody about you, Sean. I've got some education. Oh, some education. We being modest. BA in English, Masters in Novel Writing, JD in Human Rights Law. Wow, I think that's more than some, is it not? Some experience, in parenthesis, editor and tech writer, small town juvenile delinquent, uh, turned UN war crimes attorney. What a great combination. There's a book there. I, I love that. Small-time juvenile delinquent turned UN war crimes attorney. How fabulous. And some skills. You can be the judge of that. We will be in just a moment. But maybe, and most important, I've got grit. I'm committed to making it happen, writing all day, every day, and ready to do whatever it takes to succeed as a writer. Good. Because it's a long haul. It is. The Flood is my debut, submitted for a Masters in Crime slash Thriller Writing from City University, London, no, well, where it earned top marks and positive feedback from other novelists. I've spent the last 18 months rewriting and incorporating their notes and think I've finally a manuscript ready to share with agents. Good. I'm pleased to hear that. I'll be even more pleased to hear this narration from Emily. The Flood by Sean, read by Emily. Wave Zero. Win or lose, there are lessons in every game. The Flood Manifesto. Saturday, 31st of March, 2029, London. Cream isn't the only thing that rises to the top. So does trash. And it collects where you'd least expect. Mid-ocean and Texas-sized gyres of hot tub party scum. Overhead in bird bellies packed full of plastics. On Everest's peak in yellow ice flecked with prayer flags and wet wipes. Hell, even the new space station is trashed. Given the state of the world, maybe he shouldn't be surprised here on the roof of a derelict apartment block. But he is. Because he always is. He'll never get used to the filth. He crosses himself and kneels before a metal box, jutting from the roof like a crooked tombstone. He swipes a gloved finger across the top of the panel door, and flicks the muck into the morning dark. Then he starts on the lock. Like everything else up here, it's covered in shit. Too full of muck to pick. He smears his hand on his pants and searches in his pack for a pair of bolt cutters. Below, the wind howls like a demon. When people lived here officially, they called it the Vortex, a colossal screw-up in urban planning. 
The building's shape combined with the placement of an adjacent office tower turned sweet summer breezes into gales and created a microcyclone at the apartment's main entrance. The wind was bad, but the sound was worse. The wailing of a dozen banshees, constant and maddening. The developers planted trees, installed cladding, even ran a web of cables from the roof to the ground. But nothing worked. The residents bailed and joined the urban exodus. Developers went bankrupt. The building died. Then came the lawyers picking at its corpse. Then the strippers picking at its bones. That was twenty years ago. Now it's just another ghost tower dotting the cityscape, like the hollow trunk of a giant dead tree. And the handful of people unlucky enough to call the Vortex home, they have problems worse than wind noise. He cuts the padlock and it drops into his bag. He pries open the door. A ball of coloured wires falls out like he's just gutted C-3PO. Old cables, most dormant and uninteresting. But somewhere in this mess is what he's here for. From the goggles strapped to his forehead, he flips a clear lens down over his right eye. He waits for the image to focus. Three wires are highlighted in the tangled mess. Thank you, he says. Easy peasy, her voice soft in his ear. His fingers follow the blue wire until he hits a black box the size of a deck of cards. Through his lens, it glows yellow, then green. That's it, she says. It takes a while to bridge the connection. He's clumsy, his tools are slippery, and he hasn't slept in days. Besides, wires and pliers were never his forte. He's a keyboarder, but this network can't be accessed remotely. Not yet. He takes a small transmitter from his bag and connects the wires. The relay antenna will be nearby, she says. He scans the rooftop until he sees a flash in his lens. He slow blinks to zoom. There's a four-inch carbon antenna outlined on the top of a water tank. It turns from yellow to green. Bingo, she says with a yawn. He fans out a saucer-sized disc and installs it on the water tank. He pulls a display from his pocket and with a few greasy finger strokes he enables the uplink. The network's connection status blinks. Dashes move across the display, then a green, connected. Nice work, she says. The network's ours. Now what's this about a new game? Not yet, he says. Oh, come on, please. I've been waiting forever. Whatever you have in store for me, I doubt it'll take long. Someone sounds sure of herself. Only one way to find out. You'll have to wait until I'm done here, he puts the display in his pocket. I can only do one thing at a time. She laughs, not sure I could live with such limitations. Thank you, Emily. Um, Emily, of course, the mother of chapel for our all honour writers and um, always never less than brilliant, actually, from Emily. Um, so let's just have a look at the genius room now. <coughs> Following very closely, always pays. Um, great premise, says L.A. Thomas, but who is the main character? Um, the flood, the flood. I think, uh, personally, I think we've got issues with that, actually. Um, I'll explain more in a minute, but the... Excuse me, Gina Stream say, the flood makes me think of Halo. Yes, indeed. And of course, General Halo, and I remember Marathon before it. They're bringing back Marathon, by the way. Um, and uh, Claire says, oh no, they have all my cat pics. <laughs> uh, a flood makes me think of a flood, says Matt. And um, L.A. Thomas says, reminds me of Black Mirror. Yes, actually, quite a famous episode, that. Um, and B says, waiting forever line unexpectedly dispels the tension that's building nicely. Yeah, 
Johnny says, this looks interesting, good setup. Izuka says, I like the setup, but who am I supposed to care about? And um, I won't tell you what Lex uh, writes because it'll make you think hard for five minutes. Glenn likes the blurb. Martin thinks it's a clever premise. Izuka says, uh, make something be episode on the pedo one, yes. Claire says, good blurb, I felt tense. James says, blurb, comprehensive, but who is this about? Matt says, blurb sounds like a pretty common cyber bribery scam. Yeah, true, but on an epic scale, I think. Um, and yeah, LA is explaining a little bit more, but maybe we don't want to go too much into that. Um, and Izuka's suggesting the Flood Manifesto. Nice opening paragraph, says Johnny. Like the writing, says Barbara. James says, where's the emotion? And I, I think that's true. Why should I care about he? Confident Pro says John, Johnny. Pama says, isn't it shit that usually rises to the top, not trash? Just seems like the needle stuck in the opening. Something needs to happen. All right, so Bob and Carol, this is absolutely your genre. What do you think? Jennifer? Yeah, yeah. Again, again, I think something needs to happen for me. Um, yeah. And no emotion, and I really don't care about this character. You know, um, I love the writing. I, it, it felt tense. But yeah, I don't care about who. I don't. Know it's not quite clicking, is, is it? No. No, no, it just it just doesn't grip me. I, yeah. I, I, I don't care about them. Uh, but I do like the writing. I think yes. perhaps it's perhaps it's slightly overwritten. I you know, that's what got, I write down. I think it's been through too many revisions, actually. Yeah, that's yeah. how I felt. Yeah, yeah absolutely. it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, sometimes if you leave it a bit rough, it just has more, I don't know what, it's just got more more heart and soul to it. And this has possibly been been combed and refined just a little bit too much. Mm, yeah, mm. yeah, I agree with you. Sean can write, there's no doubt about that. It's mm. very capable. And like you say, it's listen to what people have said and maybe he has taken too much on board. Um, there's something there. There's, there's, you know, it's there's something there in the making. But how long would you continue reading before you know what the uh, the new game is? Yes. You know, and, and, and what's what's the process of it? Just to name and shame these people, which you know mm. happens years after years, but it doesn't make any difference to the scams from one scam. No, they still get elected so. prime minister. Apparently, yes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You can make mistakes and apologise, it doesn't matter. You know, and on to the next one. <laughs> it could be just somebody that accidentally sent the wrong email. But for me, uh, I wanted something more in there. I wanted, mm. you know, it was a generalisation of this is what it's going to be, but the flood, and then we're into this game. I'm just yeah. not sure just where it works. And like Carl said, you've said, I just think perhaps um, it's right, is it good? It's very capable, but yeah. perhaps he's listened to too many people instead of going with his own I was energy, if you like. I was, yes, yes, yes. I totally see that, and I completely agree with that. What do you think, Andy? I thought this was great. I thought this was great. I like The Flood's a title. I think The Flood's a good title. I think, mm -hmm. yes, it's, it could be The Flood. It could be A Flood. It could be lots of things. But that, for me, is what makes a good title. It's, you know... Obviously, it's been done before, but but it worked for me. I like the blurb. I'm not sure of using you, um, you know, you this, you that, you that in, in the blurb, yeah. but I like this setup. Emily reads so well. And, she you does. Know, <laughs> yeah, I know. You knock out whenever you get Emily reading. So you have to take points so off much. each time Emily reads, <laughs> otherwise you'll overmark, basically. I take yeah. the board. 
I take on board what Carol and Bob and yourself are saying. Yes, I do think that you should listen to that, Sean. But I think you write really well. I, I, I think at the top, yeah, you could be guilty of overdoing the trash a little bit. You might, might want to move on. And, and like, yeah, I end up writing here, this is great prose, but by the end of page one, all we've really got is a guy on a roof with a padlock door. So I think that's, if you could just, if you could just kind of condense some of that great writing to, to get, to, so we could move on that bit quicker, hmm. you know, also by the end of it, what you've actually got, I think is the opening to Gross Point Blank in the future. And I hmm. love hmm. Gross Point Blank. That's one of my favorite films of all <laughs> yes. time. Yeah. Yes. You've got that hit man on the roof talking to his sister on the mobile phone thing um you know that that's a brilliant setup yeah. there were points where i was like kind of in my in my you know jealousy and envy thinking oh my god is this guy a little bit too in love with his writing but then you said the line like he just cut gutted c3po and i just thought well i don't really I care love that. because that I love that. so good yeah you know, i'm with you I, yeah. I, I, I'm really interested to find out what happens next. I'm interested in the game. I'm interested in the premise. There was Snatch. Uh, it it read a little bit to me more of like William Gibson. I wonder if this is a bit more sci-fi than it is thriller. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought it was good. I liked it a lot. And uh, I, I mean, the uh, the junior stream just flooding you with comments here, Sean. Uh, really captured the tension, said Martin. Writer knows his stuff, says Mel. Smashing reading, Emily, of course it is. I'm into this so far, says Glenn, and would definitely read on. Strippers on the work site, says Pamela. Oh yeah, one or two people pick that, that word up. And the association is not always what you want. Um, Azuka says, curious why she isn't doing this if she seems to be the expert and he's the keyboarder. That's a good point. Polished clitiness to it, says Johnny. Love the last line, Glenn. Ali Thomas, great craft. I would read on, says Ali. Um, nice tension, Martin, but a hint more characters needed. Marmite writing, says Lex. Slow burn, unnamed character. Philosophizing about societal detritus while doing something techy. Some will not care, which I think we've seen. Uh, some will totally be in. I'm totally in. Um, so I just want to say, oh yes, I must, must quote Matt, because a number of people are... Um, endorsing Matt's take. The blurb promised a bit more than we're getting in the opening 700 words. That's nailed it, I think. Craft spot on Suzuku's story. Really unsure if I'm into either character presented. <coughs> so what I just want to say, actually, Sean, is uh, the flood.com is taken. So that's really throwing the spar into your works. And it's, 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 being, it's not exactly being squatted, but it's, it's one, on one of these websites that sells other websites. So in order to get, get control of that, which I think you have to, if you really do want to go ahead with theflood.com, you're going to have to pay them probably an arm and a leg. So it, uh, you really need to start from basics on that and make sure you've covered, you know, the, the basic IP, you know, I mean, domain registration should only cost you, I don't know, 20 bucks a year instead of thousands and thousands that domain squatters often ask for. So, so I think you've got a real problem with that. Um, but I, I, I've given you high, quite high marks for the craft um, for reasons that the junior room have, have, and everyone actually has, has mentioned. We think you can write. I just, I just feel I want a bit more engagement in the first 700 words. Let's look at the numbers. Oh, you're above the 70 mark. That's always good. Always good. That's, that's serious when you get 70 plus. And you got a 71. I hope you're happy with that. 
And what we're doing is we're chasing 77. That's a hell of a score to beat this month. Let's see if Duncan can do that. It's a thriller. It's called Serpent of the Mersey. When a body is washed up in the river, the search begins to find out not just who it is, but to whom they belong. The hidden histories of three families are revealed as an artist pieces the story together and discovers clandestine relationships, cultural conflicts, and ultimately a series of murderous crimes that rock the city's image of itself. Let me tell people... Oh, this this is so Jack Byrne, actually. I don't know, Duncan, if, you, um, if you're a regular pop-up watcher hopefully you are because you know we do aim to put a lot into to each show and you will learn if not from me then definitely from the genius room you definitely will um but jack Byrne is, is a regular and jack does the liverpool mysteries so it's got a kind of feeling to me so this is about you duncan i currently have a memoir due for publication in the u.s in 2022 well that's interesting and we'll be grateful for any feedback oh, you haven't told us about the memoir what's it about you must have done something interesting um, and we'll be grateful for any feedback you may have with regard to representation for this new work all right, we, we're going to give you feedback. Should you require the full manuscript, please let me know. Okay, what a bit more about you, actually. Yeah, just just a, a few interesting things just to, to nail who you are. Um, but we do have... Um, uh, Martin is not all on every show as a reader. I wish he was. But when he reads something, my God, it's good. Serpent of the Mersey by Duncan, read by Martin. One. She parked by the end of Penny Lane, outside the halls of residence, next to the loading bay. She would give him half an hour to appear, then maybe another. The smell of midsummer roses at the edge of the park crept over the wall. She thought of his shirt the last time she saw him, red and white check with the scent of his secrets. She could see to his corner from where the road starts to curve. She would talk to Polly, or if shadows or footsteps emerged, to herself. She checked her reflection in the mirror and touched at the blue-eyed beads draped from its stem. She stroked some hair behind an ear to see how it looked, then shook it out again. She reached the radio, but resisted when she heard the birds sigh in the boughs of a poplar tree. A goose overhead refound its lake. She pulled at her cuffs and pressed her fingers against her palms. She focused, fixing a hundred yard stare on the redness of the pillar box at the end of his street, and she waited for her breathing to settle. Where is he then, Paul? What's he doing? He stood up in the bathtub. He reached down to pull the plug out by the chain. The sound of the water in the wastepipe at the back kitchen door started the shouting. He dried himself off and dressed quickly in the clothes he had slung on the back of the chair. He took the stairs lightly but two at a time, grabbed at his jacket from the banister, let himself out and jogged to the end of the road. He turned right, slowing his stroll amongst the pockmarked trees. He was not aware that she was watching. He didn't know that she was lighting a cigarette steadying herself in her seat, pulling out from the curb, observing, following his walk, measuring each step. If he turned to cross and went into the park, he could be gone all day. Only if she were to drive faster directly at him would he notice. 
He stepped in and out of the sunshine, off the curbs, over side streets. She floated along like leaves and sensed all of his movements. He felt a presence, a shape at his side that triggered a snap in his attention. She braked gently to a stop and didn't look at him once. He walked around the front of the car so that she would have to watch him. She turned her head to the side and blew a smoke ring that hung and exploded into the wing mirror. She opened the door and he opened the door and eased in next to her. She let go of the brake and drove 400 yards to the lights at the Brook House. He took the cigarette from her hand and put it to his lips. He wound down his window and inspected the reflection of himself in the dark blue car in the blacked out glass of the security alarm shop on the corner of Smithdown and Greenbank. Gibby's business was caked in dust and looked like it had been there for a hundred years. It stood near the edge of, end of Lodge Lane, the last in a block of red-bricked, overlooked, undemolished buildings. The side garden wall had folded and fallen through weeds, and the sign on the storefront showed the first world. Fruit had mostly faded, but the second machine was clear. He had been hanging around in the safari, taking on young ones at the pool for cans of Pepsi and something to do. The kids were getting impatient, gesturing for the tallest to take the cue from his hand. He refused, and between his shots he stood and stared at the dirt deserted phantasm, thinking serious things. He installed himself the next afternoon, setting traps and putting down poison, sending sparks all over the road, grinding rusty bolts from the shutters and fixing in place a padlock of his own. The windows hadn't seen soap since the last bag of apples had gone out the door. Any post that arrived went into the bin outside the bricked-up wig shop. Terrific. Thank you so much, Martin. Um, and Martin says, because he's joining us um, in the genius room, I really enjoyed reading this. Simple. Okay. Let's see what else the gen genii is saying. And uh, to begin with, um, okay, Matt says, blurb is on the edge of interesting, bit heavy on the specific. I think one or two other people are saying that. Um, Barbara says, blurb, a body is washed up. Why not? A body washes up. And Lex says, blurb is, I hate to say it, generic. Yeah. Uh, but sums up as body found, someone looks into it, finds a clue and connections, needs more input. Um, Izuku, quite a, uh, no, that's not what I'm looking for. Too many lines, now this is interesting, LA, LA, several people pick this up. Too many lines starting with she. Um, like the title says John, nice reading Martin, says Barbara. And then Claire says he, he, he. Um, Matt says nice reading too. Um, sorry, says Pamela Joe, but the writing is lavender, if not purple. Less is more, this is beautiful, but confusing. She then he, who are they, says James. Um, so many sentences, says Barbara, you are starting with she or he. Yeah, I know. I, that was part of the technique, I think. That, I, I totally understand uh, what Duncan's trying to do here. But I, I, the question I want to pose in a moment is, does, does it succeed? Uh, and Matt says, maybe a good rule. Don't get started in the bathroom unless there's a psycho with a knife. Um, gives us far stronger sense of story than the previous submission, says Mal. Interesting. Like the atmosphere being built here, says Johnny, 
Um, Azuka says, such large par paragraphs in the beginning. I, I read through those kinds of paragraphs. If, I read through those kinds of paragraphs if I'm reading Faulkner or Joyce. Uh, not so much a debut author. Mm. And the good comments just continue. Let's ask Bob and Carol. First reactions, please. Well, my first reactions were, do you know what? This does it for me. Oh, um, simply good. Because... It, because it actually leads me into the story. The blurb tells me what it's about, and that might be quite simplistic, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It actually, yeah, there's a story there, and and that matters to me when I'm when I start reading. You know, I totally. need to, and and I do and I do agree that as the story went on, it became a little bit confusing. Um, yeah. But the start of it, I thought was, for me, I thought it was brilliant. Great. No. Good. <clears throat> well, <laughs> we might disagree a little bit. Oh, no. Um, oh, not American disagreement live <laughs> on again. it. Not again. Mummy and Daddy are arguing it. again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's not the cat, it's the dog. <laughs> um, yeah, when it started, I thought, great promise. You know, I like it. Bodies are down our street. You know, it's, it, this is something that, you know, I like the historical side of it. And we started into it, and it got quite heavy for me. What I, mm. In my words, I'd say heavy. It got, I was getting mundane. I was waiting for something to happen. And I think one of the things for me is, for everybody that does any writing, you've 700 words to actually slap the agent or the, you know, mm. the publisher in the face. You know, something's got to jump from that page to it. And same with the reader to follow. And whilst the story is probably a very good story, it got lost in the swamp, as it were. I think they were trying to t so much detail instead of. Uh, I'm sorry about the swamp bit in Mersey, but it just got lost in its way. I think you know, I just got lost a little bit there for me. I yeah. was waiting for something to actually out, you know, yeah. to jump out, and it, it never happened. Unlike Carol. I might not carry on reading this, whereas Carol yeah. probably would, and give it, give it the uh, the time. It's another Marmite submission. Let me just ask you, Bob and Carol. So, when you have a sharp disagreement like this, uh, what, uh, how do you do the voting then? Do you sort of do you know two points each, or how, how do you work it out? Well, I actually vote. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> It's like when we write. When we disagree. It's like when we write because yes. Bob tells me what he wants to say and I just change it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have any disagreements. Well, now we've learned your writing secrets. It's me that talks to the publisher. <laughs> and when it's edited, we get it right. If there's anything wrong, we just say, oh, that's one of Carol's. I don't, I don't think Andy has that problem with his cat, really. Do you? <laughs> no, but, but I must uh, admit, I, I did have to feed him during that, so my attention was torn a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, things were getting fractious. They were, one was chucking stuff off a breakfast bar, so, you know. <laughs> the other one's probably skulked around the neighbours now, who's going to return him to. They always know when we're live, don't they? They, they? they totally know. It's extraordinary. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay. you know, Serpent of the Mersey, uh, I, to me, that, that's too soon from the Essex Serpent as a, as a title. Yeah. So, that, that, so that that didn't really wash for me. And obviously I'm a southerner, but if you're opening sentence, that's Penny Lane in it. 
and it's mm. in the Mersey. Like that just sort of screams cliche to me. Um, mm. That's a big wodge of text you've given it me. Is, given isn't it? I would definitely yeah. work on your uh, formatting. And then you've got two POVs, which is fine. The sort of stalking inference I quite liked. Um, the, and what, Peter, this is, I guess, a question for you, but that sort of hmm. poetry interchange when it goes one hmm. line, his perspective, one line, her perspective, one line. How does that work for you as an agent when you see Doesn't that? Doesn't work for me. Um, I, that's ex- I, I, it's interesting, actually. I... The genius room was sort of picking up, you know, too many, too many paragraphs starting with he or she or something like that. And that was my first reaction, too. But then I had another look at it and I thought, well, I, it's obvious what Duncan's doing here. Uh, well, it wasn't obvious to me initially. It was um, second time around. And it's, it's a cinematic technique. It's split screen. So you're seeing you're seeing what one character's doing, you're seeing quite independently what another character is doing, and it comes to a climax. That's the whole point of that that technique in cinema terms. And it can be very effective actually. It can have you on the edge of your seat. But I don't think it's doing that here. And what frustrated me particularly when I turned over the page and looked at what I was hoping was going to be the climax when they, they both got together was we just went off onto something completely separate. Gibby's business yeah. was caked, caked in dust. I just, oh, I don't, you know, I felt disappointed actually. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, 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 I saw Mark down on those terms. I think, I think you are trying to build atmosphere. It just, it just needs more punch. And I think if you look for the originality, maybe a bit more in the writing than in the, the formatting or that structure stuff, that might, that might help you untangle that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lex says, lessons for this week so far. I have a black cat named he or she hacking into a college lecture while taking a bath. Psycho with knife optional. Mel says, my takeaway from this week is that in case of a marital dispute, only the wife's <laughs> opinion counts. <laughs> yes! Ooh. Oh, right. So I love, you. I love what you're doing, Duncan, and a lot of people appreciate the atmosphere you're building. You've definitely got a fan there and, and Carol. Uh, I just, I just, I need more impact. Actually, I need more impact. But I, I, you can write, you can write. Look, look, look at the numbers for you. You got a solid sixty, solid sixty. Can we interpret anything from that? Um, not really. Actually, it's pretty much sixty across the board. All right, fair enough. Let's look at <laughs> submission number four. Here we go. It's from Mr. Chris Bridges, sir. I will address you correctly. It's a psychological thriller. That's great. We love that. And it's called An Unhealthy House. Hmm. Now, that's an interesting title. And I doubt whether there are any or many other books called that. And I bet that title will probably stick in your mind. Which is one of the things we want titles to do, of course, isn't it? This is Mr. Chris's blurb. Laura is a nurse who has issues being empathic, empathetic, yeah, empathetic or connected outside of her work. She discovers that her former best friend, Sadie, is dying of cancer with no support other than from her teenage daughter. Given that she has the skills needed, she feels obliged to travel to the house that they once shared to care for her. They hadn't seen each other for 17 years. The last time they met, they committed a murder together. All about Mr. Chris. 
I work as a nurse specialising uh, nurse specialist, sorry, in South East London. I'm a past winner of the Rotting East Midlands Flash Fiction Competition. And a piece of my writing about nursing was read out on the Radio 4 PM show in 2020. Very good. I previously wrote uh, a weekly column for a gay lifestyle website and was a theatre reviewer for Londonist. I know it. The novel is set largely within the NHS, and I hope this will capture the public interest in nursing and hospitals that's arisen so strongly in the past two years. So it's timely. I'm also interested in depicting chronically ill, disabled and dying people from an alternative perspective, rather than via cliched tropes. I'm passionate about representing this underprivileged group and using crime fiction as a vehicle to do this. How interesting. And I can assure you of the best possible reading from Hannah. An Unhealthy House by Chris Read by Hannah 1994 It wasn't the first time that any of us had watched someone die. That distinctive slowing of the breathing, clammy sweat on the brow, the increasing pallor of the skin, just discernible in the dim glow of the bedside light. None of this was unfamiliar. We stood around the hospital bed. I've no idea how long for. We waited, listening to each rattle, each gasp, gauging the labour of each slowing respiration. This time it was different though. We didn't do the things we'd normally do. There was no moistening of the dry mouths with damp sponges. No comforting of the soon-to-be-bereaved or physical contact from us. Not even a light touch on the hand. Instead, we waited for the consequences of our actions to take effect. Standing, one at each side of the bed, one at the foot. Our heads were bowed slightly, turned towards the figure in the bed, avoiding eye contact with each other, not speaking. We were sweating, either through fear at what we were doing or through the clammy heat of the hospital ward. Probably both. We were always too warm. We listened for people coming, cover stories prepared, but no one came and we waited longer. Finally, we left one by one. I was the first to bolt from the room walking briskly to the linen store, where I stood wide-eyed, shaking, leaning against the shelves of sheets. I was followed. We didn't speak, just looked at each other fleetingly and smiled weakly into each other's ashen faces, holding hands for the briefest of moments before both leaving to dash back to where we had come from, before our absence was noted, commented upon, we wanted to run, but we didn't, of course. We would never have run in the corridors. We obeyed the rules, mostly. The three of us didn't speak of this afterwards. We didn't speak at all, didn't see each other again. I don't know how they lived with what we did, although I sometimes wonder still. For me, 
This wasn't the end, of course, but the beginning of something bigger and darker, something erosive. Chapter 1 How do you feel when you enter a hospital? Is it as hateful and disturbing as it ought to be? That smell that assaults your nostrils. The stench of sweaty bodies writhing in febrile tortures of excreted fluids, of festering wounds. The flesh pierced with tubes and drips, the orifices with snaking rubber or plastic dangling from them. Small acts of intrusion laid bare for all to witness. That incessant noise with no peace to be found, not even in the middle of the night, when there are grunts and snores, quiet groaning sounds, keening wails from the distressed and delirious. Then there's the rules, the many rules that are so easy to infringe, bringing about the wrath, or if you're luckily, mild disdain and disapproval from the nurses. Where not to sit, where not to be in the way, what gifts to bring, what to say or not to say, what to do. We can guarantee that you'll get it wrong at least once. Or is it the ethos, the tenet of the place? It's all about suffering, sometimes death. Occasionally, the veneer slips and we can no longer pretend that it isn't. Shall we tell you our secret? Years of exposure have left us immune to the place. But occasionally we slip out of our casings, we recoil, our revulsion slips through. We remember that we really do hate it too. 2010 I keep my head down on the train, pretending not to see anyone, keeping my expression benign. I do see people though, but I watch them surreptitiously wondering where or what they're travelling to, who they are. If they tell me their stories, then I'd avoid them from then on. I deliberately choose a different carriage each journey. Even in London, you see the same people day after day. Whilst the familiarity is comforting, I don't want to talk to them. I don't have the energy for this outside of the working day. Thank you very much, Hannah, indeed. Let's go straight to the genius room. And I will try to summarise um, the, the sentiment there. Uh, starting with the murder, says Glenn. Great, that works. Um, this works, says Panama Joe. The writer is a definite contender. Plurals confuse me, says LA. <coughs> they've used, <coughs> excuse me, they've used more than one person dying mouths, etc. One by one implies quite a few, says Man. Man also says, I love the idea of the prologue, the killer's guiltily watching the victim die, but they, they took them to hospital and were left alone. Um, and Claire says, hospital description, overagged. Yeah, that's when it, I agree, it started to kind of lose me there. I was very gripped to begin with, but just, that you know, tight grip uh, slackened off a bit. Great craft, says LA again, but he's slowing things down. Uh, language needs to be more Elmore Leonard, a bit overwritten, says Pamela Joan. Jan says, love the beginning. It really grabbed me, but I'm drifting away now. And I think that tends to be a general sentiment. Bob and Carol? Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, love the beginning. <laughs> and then I started to drift. Um, yeah, I, I, although there was obviously a story there, 
Yeah. I haven't got to grips with it yet. <laughs> it's, there's not that much story coming through yet, is there? It's sort of no. this recollection. It's not It's not as vivid, I think, as, as I would want to see to begin with. There it's not be, that jolt of adrenaline. Some, yeah, there could be, you know, we need some sort of interaction, you know, something mm. happening. Um, yeah. Where was the humour in this? <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean it, it, sounds, it sounds strange, but... In all instances, there's, there's, you know, there's that dark humour that comes yeah. out because of things that happened, and really, what you look yes. what Chris is doing uh, is, is basically showing you a death through his uh, his yeah. eyes yes. and all the drips and all the tubes, etc. Brilliant. But yes. where's where's the where's the, the little humour to lighten it a little? Because I think it could be quite depressing if you're not careful mm. and do it. But the intrigue is there. What, yeah. what was the three doing? Who yeah. was the person in the bed? And years later, are they going, you know, is he on the train to catch another murder? But he needs to get out more, I think, because if, you know, he doesn't want to talk to people, and that's not a good thing if he changes carriages every time he's on the train. But no, joking apart, uh, for me, yeah, I liked it. I liked the start of the story. A lot of detail. But mm. I wanted some humour there to just lighten it a yeah, little, to, to just yeah. lift people. Otherwise, it takes you down that dark road of uh, which eventually know, we'll get we'll depression. get fed up of. Yeah. So it needs a bit of humour to leaven it. Really. Yeah. Let me just ask ask you both. So we have, we've got a prologue here. Basically, it starts starts it and then stops it with something that rises. Then we go to chapter one, and we there's a big jump there actually because we're kind of experiencing. Oh, I, I would like this to be more vivid. Uh, a, a scene there, quite a vivid scene at the beginning, and then we go to chapter one, and the author starts to address the the reader directly. So using the the second person, so it goes from third person to second person. How do you feel when you enter a hospital? Question mark. What what did that? Did that work for you or, or what? You often, you often, I, I, I've done, I've done this. Have you? In a novel, uh, where it said, you know, where I've just started and said, "Have you ever killed anything in your life, any living creature?" Hmm. And if that is, if the answer to that is yes, does that mean you could kill another human being? Very good. Uh, and and just left it at that. No. You know, you've taken a life, no matter what it is. Uh, so for me, sometimes it works. Uh, it mm. depends, and and for me, I didn't mind that. My, I'm a, I'm one of those sad people, you know, that spent life in, you know, I've spent hours and days and months in mortuaries and seen lots of dead bodies, and, like you say. So I understand. Well, each to their own, you know. From, what, you, I mean, one of the floats your boat, Bob. So it's you we're, we're not judging you here. We don't judge you. It's all right. <laughs> no, you've got to have that humour. Yeah, that was on my days off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ah. And, and, oh. until they sh- and until they showed him where they got the milk um, and offered what? him yoghurt and he's never had milk this. since oh yeah. my god until the, until the mortuary attendant said Would you, do you want milk in your coffee and he went to the fridge door and opened it and there was some milk uh, between the corpse's legs and brought this oh, canister of milk no, and then no. he says do you happen to be hungry because in fridge number four I've got some yoghurts I mean, I know that's true. That's got to be I, true. I still, that's, that's I, still, so awful. I still drink. It's got to be true. I still drink coffee. I still drink coffee, but More I don't black. eat yogurts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a bit of humour there. Anyway, for you, Andy. we digress. We digress. Sorry. 
Um, yeah, I think Bob's right. I, th- I think this, I mean, it's, it's, I agree it's a good title. And I think you are asking interesting and, and important questions with, uh, with what you've told us about the story and to some yeah. extent the blurb. Um, obviously, like, you know, someone's going to look at this and think about, yeah, this, is this going to hurt? And I think Bob's completely right. Although, I, yeah, you don't want to repeat what, what that book's done so successfully. And you're, you're, you're look, trying to look through that lens to do a thriller, which is, which is a, why not? Why not? It's a good setup. But you do need some light. You do need some humid. It's, it's something to bring the humanity um, into this, I think. You know, mm. and that, there was there was one line in the in the prologue. We were all we were always too warm. That I just thought was really interesting, and that yeah, that, that sort of I, I just know oh, that drew me in. There was a sense of mystery in that that I was sort of more interested in in a way mm. than what I'm taking it is a couple of kids who are sitting around a body that they've just turned off the life support or something. Mm. I might be wrong, but but the, the, what what yes. Pete was alluding to with the the beginning of the chapter. I just thought at that point I'm being talked to, you know, how do you feel mm. when you enter a hospital? And then you tell me, it's like, it just feels a bit like a lecture at that point. And that, that as a reader, I, that, that kind of starts to, starts to turn me off a little bit. Well, Chris, Chris says, I'm, I'm interested in using crime fiction as a vehicle um, to talk about this underrepresented group. And that's, that's, that's fair enough. But I guess um, what we're saying is, you can do that, but we, we need lots of story. Don't forget the story. Yeah, so I think one of my best yeah. friends is a, is a doctor, and, and we talk a lot about what he's going through mm. at work and the impact that that has mentally and emotionally on him and his fellow staff, especially mm. over the last few years. And yeah. I think that it is, it is something we should talk about. It is something we should read about. It's a great thing to write about, but I think you need to give us character. <laughs> you need to give us something to go with you because we don't like just being told what to think what it feels like what it smells yeah. like etc we want to experience it with you and we, and we need that's why we have stories that's why we have characters to to do it through them or yeah yeah and, and that's his usp isn't it you know he's yes. worked in that you know it's like we do with um with our dylan series it's you know the, it's got the background it's got the yeah, it's got use the necessary it. Knowledge. Use it. Yeah, but 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 you need that story to go with it, don't you? It's not just all about um, about what somebody goes through in that role. You need the story yeah. to go with it. You totally do. Yeah. yeah okay. Smile. So we we've, we've we've done that, and I actually, Chris, I would, I, I like, I think there's lots and lots of potential in this, and I feel kind of bad about just giving you kind of so-so numbers here, but you know, I mean. At the end of the day, uh, to use a cliche, to, we've got to, we've got to, you know, we've got to sell the books. And I, all, all I can do really is judge the words on the page that you send me or any other agent. So that's why you've got these marks. What are the marks? <gasps> Not very good so far. Is there, you haven't voted, uh, Bob. Uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm just voting. Sorry, oh, no. I was oh, no. so Doesn't bold matter. There. We can wait. Got all night. Yeah. It's, uh, it's it is. If it's not cats, it's not something else. Oh, there we go. There we go. You like the title. You like the title. You, that's quite a no, That's changed everything, hasn't it? You've got a six or seven, which you should be very pleased with, Chris. And I'm not very pleased with myself because um, I'm, I, I just, I, you know, I excuse myself. It's the move, right? It's the move. Thousand one things to think about, um, including the what the events of last night. And I totally forgot 
and I'm going to apologise now to everyone who's not in the UK. I totally forgot about the the time difference today. We've gone back from daylight saving, so I'm really sorry about that. I kept people hanging around for an extra hour today before the show started. I do apologise. Won't happen again. Consider my wrists well and truly slapped. And the second uh, mayor culper I've got is, I'm not talking about, but I am in a minute, Bob and Carol's latest book. <laughs> and there you go. You got a link there. You got a link. Book.latopia.com. Type that in your browser right now and see where it's going to take you. Bob and Carol. Vengeance. <laughs> Who is Charlie Mann and why is Charlie Mann keen on vengeance? Oh. <laughs> yes, go on, pitch it. Yes, it was, yes, it was, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Uh. Uh, Charlie Mann. Charlie Mann is a feisty uh, female detective inspector from Huddersfield in West Yorkshire, uh, loosely based on quite a few females that, uh, police officers that we know. Yeah. Um, and uh, she doesn't take fools gladly, does she? Um, she's brought up by a folklorist grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, so she has this, she has this pull, if you like, of being a detective inspector who, you know, needs evidence to prove her case. But yet, with the upbringing of folklorists, she, yeah, she she tussles mm. with um, with how she feels about things. Yeah, and vengeance is uh, a lot of twists and turns. Um, it opens on a, a summer's day uh, in a village wedding. And everyone's happy. The couple have got married, come outside the church, and then the sound of all the uh, euphoria and the church bells is smothered by gunfire, <laughs> gunshots, and uh-huh. screaming. Uh-huh. And people are shot uh, from within the group. A man appears and kneels down and starts firing. There you go. Uh, what's yeah, it that's all a good about? setup. That's a good setup, isn't it? Let what's just, it all about and why? What? What you what you just said is really interesting because it's it's I, I just want to ask you how close to, to real life that sort of situation is where you get I don't know a strong rugged individualist someone who is usually unerringly right but kind of rub, rubs people up the wrong way they don't really fit into the system system tries to grind them down sometimes they come up a bit of corruption too how realistic is that actually in everyday life in the police um, police officers are human beings. Mm-hmm. And so you'll get every type of character. Um, you get the good, you get the bad, you get the ugly. No <laughs> and, um, you know, just because you're a police officer doesn't mean you've got common sense neither. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, common sense doesn't come with the title or the role even, you know. So, um, yeah, it, 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 we try to portray it as it is. You mm. know, um, with with warts and all. We turn mm. we turn fact into fiction. Fiction, yeah. Uh, we turn fact into fiction, and and back to vengeance. You know, the gunman is, is is disarmed and flattened and beaten at the ground, and to all intents and purposes, they've got the killer. They've got the killer, but oh. they haven't. Oh, have they? Uh, and and that's the thing. But it's you know we try to use something. Uh, that we're aware of in the past an incident and we'll tip it on its head, twist it, turn it, whatever we need to do. But it's that kind of fiction that's based on some reality that we've actually lived through 
So mm. you you do have the emotion, you do have yeah. all... Uh, and the, the twists and turns that comes in a real-life inquiry, you couldn't make yeah. them up. You yeah. literally couldn't make them up. You yeah. know, um, with, with like, familiar DNA and stuff like that it coming mm. along and... Yeah, you just couldn't make it up. So we we do we were lucky because we can actually use uh, things that we've dealt with. And it was just talking about a, um, a friend of his who's, who's a doctor and all the um, you know uh, trauma, I suppose, really that uh, many medics have been through in the, in the last couple of years, particularly. I mean, that that's got to be true in the police too, isn't it? I mean, what 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 sort of support do you get if you're on the front line? Because I know you particularly, Bob, have been. You dealt with so many uh, murders and just you know sexual crimes, all kinds of stuff. I mean, that's got to take well, a personal personal toll, hasn't it? It does. I mean, in my, in my last three three years, I took charge of twenty six murders, fifty suspicious True. deaths, twenty four major incidents, drive by shootings. I was an hostage negotiator for kidnap, extortion, etc. Um, and I was at saturation point. Hmm. Uh, you don't you didn't get counselling or anything back then. Like we we're joking apart earlier, we said I spent days in mortuary, hours in mortuary. Yeah. You know, I then sit down and actually tot up how many hours I've spent in a mortuary or murder scenes. Yeah. And one of the things that did happen to us when we first got interviewed uh, after writing his first book, the first person said to me straight away, "You do realise you have post-traumatic stress disorder?" Oh no! And I says, "Well, oh my god!" And I says, "Well, that doesn't surprise oh. me." Wow. Because I got to saturation point. I mean, yeah. it was yeah. it was a numbers game, and as long yeah. as somebody picked it up, that was fine. And I mean, in the last week of my thirty-year career, I give evidence in three murder cases, three different murder cases on the same day at Leeds Crown Court, and that's just and one, and one was and that, an eight, eight-hander, and that is just so, absolute nonsense. You know, that is not fair to anybody. Uh, thing, but it's just where the court calendar went, and if. That's how it happened. It happened. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, at the end of that day, do you want a pint? God, or a glass of wine? And, and of course, it, they yeah. closed the police station uh, bars down. Yeah, they the deed. The the <laughs> and especially when it's child murders, you know, there used to be just that social sort yeah. of discussion between yeah. the team. What hurt everybody? And, and you can never go through life with things not hurting you. But as yeah. the person in charge, no matter how upset you are with a child murder or whatever, you can't re reduce tears. You have to wear the mask of the detective. You mm -hmm. can't do a, you know, you can't do um, a media press conference and start crying. You know, it wouldn't be seen. You know, you've mm -hmm. got to keep that straight face. Whether you agree with something or don't agree with it, you keep that thing. And and what Carol's managed to do over the years, uh, as we've been writing, uh, is unmask the detective. You know, she would say all right, you've told me what it's like as a police officer. Now, hmm. push that aside. Tell me, how do you feel as a dad, as a hmm. parent? Hmm. How do you really feel? I mean, it, it would go to the murder of a, of a child, for instance. And at the time, I mean, it, this doesn't happen now, but he's carried a body out. Oh and God. that child had been as old as our children. Yeah. I would oh come home God. in the early hours of... I would come home in the early hours of morning, go into the bedroom where I was sleeping, and just stand there. Mm. quietly thinking there for the grace of god how lucky you know mm. and knowing they're alive and that and he's he's had it since we've actually been writing he's had people victims um um loved ones come into our book signings and say i literally been in tears and you know by the grace of god basically we got you as our sio because if we hadn't mm. we know that 
at this murder would not have been captured. This, you know, they, they bought him slippers. They bought, you know, the things, the cards he's got because he became part of their families while this was going yeah. on. They never bought me a drink. No, um, <laughs> no. But joking apart, but you push bound. You try to push boundaries. Uh, mm. You know, and let's face it. Nowadays, sadly, murders are commonplace. Uh, they're a daily occurrence. And once your murder, as it were, in inverted commas, goes off that front page out of the media, that's it. But the family cling mm. to you, totally. and they look at you and your team. And don't get me wrong, you know, I'm, I might have been the voice, I might have been the face of all these m murders, but in actual fact, you're only as good as your team. Mm. And you get bad apples in every team that you have to deal with. Mm. You know, uh, policemen, as we know, are not all good. Mm. Uh, and that... That just hurts so bad when everybody's worked so hard to do what they do, and then you get somebody that takes advantage of a situation that mm. they're in, uh, and that annoys me. I spent I spent two years in uh, Cleveland uh, dealing with police corruption, oh, yeah. you know, and and it, and that is just you know, it's one of those sour tasting thing that stays with you. So yeah. you know, writing cathartic, yeah. I'm sure there you it go. Is. There you because go. at the cold light of day, yeah. you can actually yeah. sit down and revisit some of these yeah. these horrendous scenes and horrendous yeah. injuries that that people have caused to people. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes there's no ex real sort of what I call normal explanation for them doing it. Hmm. So as you've of course you've got to have therapy. your norm. You've got to have your home. Yeah, and hmm. and that's what. I tried to do, and Jenny in our books yeah. tries to do. She his she's his norm at home, yeah. and you know, Dad isn't there at birthdays. Dad isn't there at Christmas. Like so many emergency service workers, is is you know, the people aren't there to actually be with the family, and so they have to put things in place to um, to help them through it. You, you, know. th you throw a switch. You throw a switch when you go to work. You throw the switch when you come home. You try to switch off. You try to switch off, but you can't always do it because your mind is always active. Uh, mm. But the thing for me is, I never judge anybody. I've never judged people for what they've done. They've done it. They accept what they've done. It's not me, my place to judge them. And you know how mad we are. So if you want a good read, <laughs> read, read Vengeance, uh, and it'll think next time you go to a wedding, you'll be, looking, you'll be looking over your shoulder. There we but, go. But don't there let it go. spoil it. Bob and Carol, don't judge you on, except on this show. Yes, show. <laughs> as as we want you to. Thank. That's that's terrific. A real insight into into uh, Copper's life. Uh, Duncan, who was with us, says thanks for comments and love to Carol. How about that? Isn't that great? Oh, we got this link. Remember, guys, we got this link. Oh, from Chris too. Appreciating these comments. Thanks, great. Story does kick in too late with minor glimpses of humour when it arrived. Helpful to know that bit didn't work. Good. Our aim is to be helpful. And of course, we've got a link. I think you need to buy this book. <laughs> and we're at a very interesting stage indeed. Because we've now got four schools. And looking, remember, looking to the beat 77 for the, the monthly winner who gets submitted to Head of Zeus. And we've got one more submission to go. Only one, and this is it. That's from Ben. Heart rate rising. Heart rate rising. Think about that as a title. Is that good? Will you remember it? Will you pick the book up? It's a thriller. 
And this is Ben's blurb. The shocking death of his daughter murdered by her doctor sparks a father's desperate hunt for answers. Each revelation takes him and his secretive yet grieving wife spiralling inexorably towards the truth he doesn't want to find and a confrontation he can no longer avoid. This is about Ben. Uh, the novel is not drawn from personal experience, I'm happy to say. <laughs> <laughs> but I have enjoyed the process of putting the story together. I haven't previously published, although I am presently working as a university tutor after a number of years in business. I would like to build a career as a novelist, writing fast-moving, thrilling stories, which is what Bob and Carol do, and plan to write many more novels. Well, let's hope we can give you a fantastic start with this reading from Bev. Heart Rate Rising by Ben Compton, read by Bev. One. I can feel my heart rate rising now, my stomach is twisting and turning at the thought of what I am about to do. I look in the mirror, check in the black sweatpants, hoodie, snood and dark gloves. The only piece of me visible is a thin line above and around my eyes. For a moment I think about putting sunglasses on, but apart from looking ridiculous they would limit my sight dangerously. A deep breath and I turn the light out in my room, stepping gingerly over to my door and pressing my ear against the jam, listening for the faintest sound. Nothing, except for the usual settling sounds of a house on a cold night. Slowly I twist the door handle, and the door pulls open easily, making a soft shushing sound as the bottom of the wood glides over the carpet, hinges silently opening as I pull and step through. I'm halfway down the stairs when it hits me. I've left my phone behind. Holding back the urge to curse, I creep back, using the limited streetlight to guide me to where I'd left the phone. And then I'm back down the stairs, treading on the parts closest to the wall to minimise creaking. Then it's through the kitchen and out the back door, down the side of house, and along the shadowed side of the lawn, close up against the hedge. The air is cold, and I can see my breath forming a cloud of steam as I stand still at the corner of the garden, holding a glove up against my face to disperse the heated air. I lean forward and check for signs of activity. It's a typical suburban street, a wide roadway, pavements either side, lawn gardens in front of each of house, some more manicured than others and hedges and fences separating each property, cars on wide driveways, frost already forming on the roofs and windows, some with three or four vehicles randomly parked. The house I'm heading towards has only one car in the driveway, and there is light throughout the downstairs, partially drawn curtains offering a glimpse of warmth and occasional movement inside. Still nothing is moving, and with another deep breath I step forward and out onto the street, skirting the streetlights as much as possible, trying to stay in shadow as I make it up the street, past the car and over to the front corner of the target house. I stop and wait, leaning up against the side wall of the property, 
safe in the shadowy darkness as I count to sixty, allowing time for anyone who might have seen me to look out and check, as well as giving myself time to get my own breathing under control. I can still feel my pulse pounding powerfully, even after a full minute's wait. But it's time to go. Dropping my head down below the window source of the house, I slip slowly to the back of the house, holding close to the wall, straining my eyes as I search for any unexpected obstacles. Once I get to the gate, I stop once more, listening hard for doors opening or footsteps approaching. Nothing. The throbbing of the pulse in my neck and the muffled sound of my breath pushing away any other sounds. I really want to run back now, just turn round and sprint for home and safety, but I know I can't, not if I want answers. The gate latch lifts easily, and with a slow groan the gate opens enough for me to squeeze through. I push it shut behind me and continue round to the back of the house, ducking underneath the kitchen window and stopping once I've reached the stretch of brick that separates the kitchen from the next room. Reaching into my hoodie, I pull out my phone and switch the camera on, lifting it up slowly as I try to see inside the room. Part-drawn curtains mean I have to reach across, stretching to find a view through the gap. I take a step forward as I angle the screen of the phone towards me, trying to get a clear view of the room on the screen. Thank you very much, Bev, indeed. Genius Room, quick update. Um, pace starts too slow, says Pamela Joe. Seems like the ubiqu ubiquitous first draft where the writer tells the story to themselves. I agree, um, I'm afraid, yeah. And Azuka says, hmm, I'm not sure about the feel my heart rate rising quote when the title is heart rate rising <laughs> yeah uh nice reading bev says matt um bit too step by step for me Izuka goes on unless there's a distinct reason for this i'm afraid i'm going to be led to the bathroom with a point of view um i hope says claire i hope this is leading up to something worth my investment and johnny says feels a wee bit generic competent writing though what did you think bob and carol Go on, you well, start. Well, I was going to say, it, it starts off, and I thought, far too long. It, you know, mm. it was too long, the description of going there. Mm. Uh, as everybody knows, we like police procedurals. Uh, whether he's going to kill somebody, whether he's going to you know, question somebody in great detail, mobile phone is just put himself at the scene, geographic map, mapping, great one, thank you very much. He will soon find you from the police point of view. Uh, it reminds me a bit of the uh, Brickbox Beast Must Die, when, it, you know, I'm going to kill a man, I don't know who he is, or where he is, mm. but I'm mm. going to kill him. Mm. Uh, but we're going into great detail, and, and sadly, Ben, you know, whilst the writing's there, and, and please, everybody that's on the show today, you know, don't let any of this knock you, but whilst the writing's no. there, I wait to say the lovely new part, uh, you know, cobbled driveway, or the new curve that's been put, you've given us too much detail. We, we know you're panicking, know. we know, know what's going on. Let's just get there now and yeah. just tell us in this first bit just something that why you're there. Uh, yeah. You know, you've you've led it, uh, this sounds awful, but you've led us down the garden path and boy, it's a long path. 
It is. Uh, we need to get there. <laughs> you know, the story's fine. You know, it's this. It's got the makings, but yeah. for yeah, me, my, my, it didn't make it, it. didn't do it for me. My first thoughts was we've been so descriptive tonight, haven't we? Everybody's mm. really descriptive without mm. actually getting to the point. Yeah, and that—that's the thing for a reader. For me, is I, you know, I need to get to that point, and I don't want to be so laboured. You need that hook. Yeah. You need that hook yeah. for, yeah, yeah. for the reader. Although the stories are there, but again, is it just a really good edit? Do we just need good edits? Yeah. Do we need somebody <laughs> yeah. to grab all of these stories and just edit them? Yeah, we do, Andy. Yeah, I, I think um, Bob and Carl have kind of already served now. I mean. <laughs> You know, Heart Rate Rising, I like it as a title. It's got a sort of airport thriller kind of ring to it, isn't it? But but like someone said, yeah, you don't want to repeat it in the first line. Um, and then and I, I tell you, 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 you can write. And it, like everyone, I think the show today, you know, as far as craft is concerned, I haven't written anyone below a, a 60 because yeah. you can all write. But you're not sadly telling us anything, you know. You're, you're, literally, you're literally telling us everything. Um, if you're going to have a character forget their mobile phone and then go back to their mobile phone, then for God's sakes, give us a reason for that to happen. Oh. And, and we've all been, and, and yeah. this is, you know, I mean, this is a difficult cosmetic exercise. We're all saying you've got to wow us in 700 words. You've got to give us you know, the inciting incident, which for most books don't really happen to at least chapter three or whatever, but still you've got to give us something to, to hang on to. And what mm. you've given us is, is loads of description, but it doesn't actually get us to any kind of punch or really any sense of character or really any sense of what he's doing and why yeah yeah i think that a lot of people are, are picking that up and they're, they're, sort of, they're feeling a bit generic actually a bit generic thank you very much andy let's look at the numbers there uh someone hasn't voted have they bob and carol oh i have sorry Hold on a minute. press that button press that button you just you can't get a start can you bob no <laughs> no i keep telling us his wife number two it says I have. Oh. It says thanks for your submission. Okay, well, just give it a second or two. Sometimes we have a That's little. The data up. just gets a bit on the tired side. Thanks you know. for coming. Yeah. Okay. Got well, look, it. Thanks. Because really helpful comments. Thanks. Good. Thank you, BC. Ben. BC. Um, yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to do it manually in that case. Sorry about this. It takes us slightly longer to do it this way, but if you've got to do it this way, you've got to do it this I, I, I way. Can, um, I can tell you verbally if you wish. Yeah, give me, give me a sec. I've just got to find the, uh, the correct spreadsheet because we've obviously got to have the right numbers. And um, tell me what you gave the title, guys. Four. Oh, we, we give it, yeah. We give okay. it, so it's 80. That's 80, Okay. Hold on a sec. Oh, this is anti-climax, isn't it? Sorry. Okay, four stars. Oh, right. drum roll or something. Uh, for the blurb. <laughs> yeah, drum roll. What? Uh, for the blurb. Uh, uh, the blurb start. Six eight. How many stars? Four. Four. Four stars. Okay. Yeah. And for craft. Um, three. Okay, three stars, and for bang, which is your, you can see, see it going up as I do it, um, commercial potential. Yeah. 40. Yeah. 40. How many stars? Three. Three stars, okay. Good, there we are. That was hard work, wasn't it? Sorry. <laughs> right. 
we got there. Uh, no, I, I, you know what? It was it's some sort of data communication thing, actually, because the data actually had not come through on that occasion. So there we go. We got a 63 for your band. I hope you're happy with that. Let's look at the scorecard. And it looks like the flood. Sean, if you're still with us, I hope you are. That's rather, rather nice for you, actually, because it means... You are a show winner. Many congratulations. But of course, it is the last show of the month, so it means we, in addition to that, do have a monthly winner, and it's unchanged. in the seats of guilt. It yeah, isn't it? That's a good title. Yes, it is Bob and Karen. It is a good title, yes. It is a good title indeed. And we, we expect good things from that, actually. Strongly commercial submission, that. So let's see let's see what happens when head of Zeus get their hands on it. Um, all it remains for me to do is to say to Bob and Carol, you have been... Amazing. Yes, you have. You really have. Oh, <laughs> the first for everything. Oh, and to Andy, I mean, what else can you say but... Thank you. Look inside my head compared to everybody else's. Look, look how it's big, isn't it? Compared to... the mine. <laughs> I'm sorry, I thought you were ready for your close-up. <laughs> never. I'm never ready for my close-up. <laughs> and from on YouTube, from Chris, thank you very much. Thanks, everyone, to the other writers, too. Absolutely, yes, indeed. It's been a great show. A little bit long. Many yeah. apologies for the, the cock-up and timing. Um, thanks, everyone. Let's do it all again. Same time. I will get the time right next Sunday. Take care. Hit it! Ready for what's coming now I'm the one, I'm the lady, go bring it down Ooh.